Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, thanks very much for coming. I, we were a, a, a tad concerned by the weather and by the the uh, the other event that seems to be happening at the moment today. Um, well, the traffic jam. Yeah, it's the traffic jam. Yeah. Um, it uh, it kind of uh, I thought that three things were going to happen today. One was that uh, we were going to fin finish up by the end of the day knowing which bunch of clowns were going to be running the country for the next couple of years. Um, we were going to con conclude a very successful talk series, as Steve says, but the, the main thing is that I'm going to be able to uh, introduce you to a personal hero of mine, David Tremaine, who some of you will know him because you saw him in action in January when he uh, joined our Kings of Speed panel and demonstrated a far greater knowledge of the subject than any of the rest of us, which was, which was quite a thing. But there are four counts on which we, most people have got one string to their bow, David has four. Um, first of all, he's one of the country's foremost F1 reporters. He runs his own website, but also covers F1 for the independent 500 plus. Oh, don't anymore, it's Oh, don't you? No. Okay, well, that's probably a relief, isn't it? Uh, what, 500 plus Grand Prix? Yeah, 567. It was counted. 567. <laughs> um, author of various books. I see there are some people who brought books along. Most recently, a, a, a fabulous book which I paid my own money for, the, the, another Jimmy Clark book. Um, uh, an expert, as I say, on, on uh, I mean, a world expert on land speed records. But most of all, a participant, and that's what we're going to hear about today. You saw some of, of what David's done. Um, Can I just say one thing? I hope you all saw the footage, which is proof that I can clear this thing the right way up. <laughs> Sometimes. So we're going to we're going to start at the beginning. Um, but the, the the thing that uh, is is on the record is that there was a. A, uh, an accident at 296 miles an hour. You've got, you've got yourself on the BBC. I've just watched it. Um, I don't want to boast, but actually we were. I found something last night. That for like two minutes, we were number one on the news, and Trump was number four. <laughs> so one DT was number one. The other. That's how the, the thing you need to know is that when stuff went wrong. David was win, was doing 296 miles an hour. He, well, sorry, he had done 296 miles an hour, which is five miles an hour short of the UK land speed record, which is a, a hell of an achievement, and it and it bodes well for the future, which we're going to hear about. Um, so why don't we just start at the beginning? How the hell did we get into this? <coughs> well, it's this guy's fault, and it might sound a bit odd. There's somebody somersaulting to their death is your inspiration for kind of what I wanted to do in life, but really the way I wanted to judge myself in life is probably the best way to, to say it. Um, but I watched that when I was 14 and it made a massive impression on me. Um, and I always wanted to do something like it. Um, we're not really doing anything like it because we're in the baby leagues. But it's still quite fast and it's still quite fun. But it's his fault. Did you? So, so you simply saw that and, and that and that stimulated you. Yeah, and I found a book called um, the BP Book of the Racing Camp, mm -hmm. by a guy called Richard Howe, 
who disappointingly I later found out wrote it to pay for his kids to go to school. I suppose we've all done that. But it was a really, really good book. It was not written for kids, but it was sort of a bit gone home, full of exciting stuff and all these characters that had gone off the land of water speed records. So that kind of added a bit more fuel to the fire. So it was boats to start? Yeah, definitely boats. Why? I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I guess because he was in a boat. Um, and I guess because I remember Innes Island, I talked to him about um, he was going to take over. And at the time, I didn't know Innes, of course. But looking back, he would have been a perfect guy to have carried on. But there, there was no money to do so. But I always found boats fascinating. I loved fast boats. Still do. Yeah. And how, how did you proceed? I mean, it's a hell of a step from being a 14-year-old admiring watching the death of Donald Campbell and... We proceeded by an awful lot of failures, actually. Um, I made Richard Noble um, take me on board with his project in 1980, never went away. And then when Richard was finished having done the land speed record in 83, um, I went and bought myself an Orpheus turbo jet engine for 400 quid, which Wait. is actually in... Um, Who's the Pink Floyd guy, Dave Gilmore, David, yeah. in his yellow jack. I think that's still flying, my motor. But the idea was to do a water speed record, um, and we failed miserably. <laughs> we had an engine and nothing else. And in the end, I changed to, I bought a hull, which was going to have a JDV-12, and we were going to do the British propeller record. Failed miserably at that, because we had the boat and the engine, and we couldn't fund the mating process. And so from there we went to my mate Russell Spence who was going to buy us an unlimited hydroplane. A really obnoxious, yeah, yeah, a really obnoxious guy called Russ Wicks, who I hated, um, <coughs> broke the record I was after. And my mate Joe Saber told me that in Canada in 2000 on the Friday, I think. By Tuesday I was having breakfast with Russ Wicks in Seattle and <laughs> just instant friendship. Fantastic guy, and we just had a five-hour lunch in LA catching up. Um, Propeller-driven boat, the 200 mile an hour record had never been done, and I kind of set my heart on that. And we got so close, and Spencer was going to buy it. Then the guy had helped him most in his life went bust, so Russell had to divert all the money into that. So, so back to square one. Yet another failure. So I was sitting snivelling on the um, sofa one day in December 2008, feeling sorry for myself. And it was kind of like my religion, it was the way I identified myself having this project. And then you had to kind of admit to yourself it was never going to happen. So then I started looking in, I wanted a rocket car. Because partly at the end of 2008, my, my best friend Nadia Petrosi had gone from Formula One, she moved to Dubai. So I thought, wouldn't it be a gas to get a rocket car and go around all the racetracks and the drag strips in <coughs> the Middle East? And have, you, have you seen rocket cars in action? I've driven one. Oh, right. <laughs> so, well, I knew they were quite fast and quite fun. And then Daniel Job, who's this 20-year-old kid with a handbar and stuff that was doing a rocket for thrust for Bloodhound. I talked to him about it. He said. Um, Middle East, 
hydrogen peroxide bombs. And even I could work out that that probably wasn't going to work. So I started looking for a jet car, like you do. And I, I saw a couple in America that were way too expensive and horribly ugly because they had those little tiny front wheels. And where you, you couldn't be involved with something that didn't look good. Where, where do you buy a jet engine? 400 well, actually, they're quite easy to buy. Um, the original one I got from the Ministry of Defence, and since I bought them from Martin Hill, who runs at Santa Bob, he's got about 10 Vipers to choose from. Anyway, I saw this um, thing on eBay, uh, on um, AOL, that said 235 mile an hour car, too slow for racer. I looked it up and it was, um, I'm thinking you were going to press the button. It was this monster. Horrible colour. Hideous colour. But um, long story short, we paid 25 grand for it. And it was quite funny because John Piper, who was designing Bloodhound, came down the second time he came down to see it because we'd been talking about Goodyear tyres and what speeds they were good for and the fronts are the same as diesel max ran, so we know they're good for, I think it was nearly 400 miles an hour with a certain amount of load on them as well. But he, Dad came along to make sure I wasn't going to do anything stupid. Um, and then he kept asking all those questions. And a guy, Ian Casey, that I was buying from, you could see him sort of thinking, who is this guy? So we'd agreed the deal, and then I said, well, you two can have a, um, my rocket's bigger than your rocket pissing contest. So Ian goes, well, I've got an 8,000 pound hydrogen peroxide engine from Russia, blah, blah, blah. <coughs> and John said, that's quite good. It's about 24,000 pounds of thrust, etc., etc." And that's when I explained that he was Bloodhound's designer. And Ian kind of, okay, now I get it. Right. So you, you, how did you pay for this thing? I mean, 25k, I, I know what happened. Well, I had no money. Uh, I literally had no money. Um, and it's funny because Peter Windsor, who's a mate, a journalist, he was putting his own Formula One team together at the same time. And who was that? Um, the Formula One team? Yeah, yeah. Windsor. No, USF1. Oh, okay, of course it was, yeah. With Chad Hurley. So actually, yeah. I had five grand from Tony Pernell, who used to run Jaguar. Super guy, he was our first sort of decent sponsor. And I was sat on my sofa sort of thinking, how do I buy this damn thing? And then I thought, well, I'm doing a book from McLaren. It's 15 grand. Who do I phone? Do I phone Ron or Martin Whitmont? And I thought, if I phone Ron, he'll tell me I'm doing everything wrong and I should be doing X, Y, Z. So I bottled out and I phoned Martin and said, is there any chance you could give me all the money up front? And he, it took him three seconds to say yes, because he's Martin Whitmarsh. And then his next question was, what's our guarantee you won't have killed yourself before we get our book? <laughs> well, I'm not dead yet, and he's had his book a long time ago. But what an awesome thing to do. And then at the end of it, I could hardly speak, and I said, why are you doing this? And he said, because we're racist and we should help other races. Well, yeah. shit, you know, went down there, I'm not a racer. I'm just a, a lucky guy. So then the price went up five grand. Why? Why did it go? Because I think some Germans were interested and Ian was pretty good. Uh, so I told him, if it goes up five, no more. But I was out of the game, so I was smashing things around the house. 
And I think Tom was with me, Tom, mm. my elder son. Yeah. And he was sort of saying what we were going to do. I'm going, no, that's not going to happen. So then he gives me the phone, and it's Sam, my younger son. And he said, OK, Pops, this is what's going to happen. We're each going to give you two and a half grand. And I'm going, no, it doesn't work like that. And then you think, don't be an ass. <laughs> and I said, OK. And then I think, I think I actually admitted it to Trish four years You're later. Yeah. yeah, four years later. Um, and both of these guys have got a, a role in the team, haven't they? Yeah, and they're both obviously shareholders in it. Um, Tom is the crew chief, um, and Sam is in charge of social media, which is what he does for Formula One. So, first thing to do is get in the right colour. <laughs> and and I don't know if you can see, but just on the See that little white dot on the nose at the top? That's where this guy has a history of trying to escape from his trailer. Oh. I drove home my Jackie's Q and balls on the bonnet really gently, and it still managed to jump a little bit and nick the nose cone. So, but that's it. It looks so much better in that car, doesn't it? What was what was the condition of the car? Was it very good? Door? Yeah, very good. Um, and what what did you understand it was capable of? Well, Ian had done 235 over the quarter mile, which isn't super quick. So that was a that was an average. Yeah, um, I guess no, that would be his peak. Because he did it in just drag racing. Right. So the, that was what I was getting going to get at because it's a dragster, but you were going to use it for something else. Yeah. So you're going to have to run the engine much longer, or. Yeah, I mean, obviously we we could go quicker than that because we'd run over a, a bigger distance. Ian would do. 1,320 feet, I guess, in those days. Um, now they do it over 1,000 feet, I think. Um, but from a standing start, whereas we'd have like five, 600 meters um, running and then do a flying it's still five not hour, is it? You know, I mean, you needed the acceleration. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll, I'll go into that a bit later on. It's, well, I'll explain why, one reason why we, we had the accident was the amount of run-up we had. But, um, and also, these things aren't great from a standing start. I know that sounds daft because of the amount of power, but the faster they go, the more they pack air and the more power oh, they develop. Yeah. So, um, 0 to 100 is much slower than 100 to 200. So, that must be get your attention. Yeah, you. <laughs> pushes you on. Do you know any? What sort of? <coughs> do you know any times? 0 to 100 times? Um, I did work it out. It's not, honestly, this is not. Quick. Um, I think we took about 14 seconds to get from zero to 296. Uh, my friend Elaine Larson, who runs, this is a 51 year old um, MILF. <laughs> she's, she's just an awesome, awesome lady, and her husband makes the cars, and Elaine and a whole lot of other girls drive them in the States, and they do that in about under six seconds. But then they've got J85 super engines. And what was J85 out of? Um, okay. among others. So modern? Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic cars. Right. This engine is, is out of what aircraft? Um, this is out of a Starfighter, no, Strikemaster, sorry, from the Saudi Air Force in 1970. But it's actually like 19. 49 technology, and the joke of it is because it's used still in a Learjet, it's on Rolls Royce's 
heritage engine list, which means it's all top secret, we're not allowed to have any help from Rolls Royce. Yeah. Which is just daft. It is daft. So okay, so so you you established ownership of this thing and you, and you where did you keep it? Where did you how did I kept you? it on the farm for a long time and it lived in its trailer. Trisha's, Trisha's parents have a farm okay. in Darlington. So we kept it in the trailer for a long time. And I bought it in 2009, and it took me till 2011 to find the money to run it. And what 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 does it take to run it? I mean, obviously, um, to do a record, it takes. And we have spent a lot of money on, it, but the MSA quoted me twenty six thousand pounds for two days of timing, which is fire crew. Extraction crew, medics, insurance, you know, no, not insurance, um, and officials and everything else. Was that? That's a lot of money, you know. No, I think that's ridiculous. Stupid amount of money that you're paying for two days running um, what you pay for the car. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. This, by the way, is Mr. Whitmarsh. Oh, of course it is, yeah. It was uh, absolutely, you know, the expression where you take a bullet for someone, I take a machine gun drive by. Martin, because I still don't understand why he did that for us. And then the other guy, Tony Fernandez, um, he was our first major sponsor with AirAsia. Yeah, I see. Which the, is kind uh, of ironic because I love Tony to bits, but AirAsia didn't fly out of England anymore. And a couple of years after we'd first run, I went to him and said, I'd like to repaint the car, I'd like to do it in orange. So silver going into orange and put EQ8 was his energy drink, um, which was on the car originally. But I'd like to do all around energy drink when making engine cabling, so it was like a can. Oh, yeah, fantastic. I love the way you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then two weeks later, I phoned him and said, So can we go ahead? He goes, Oh, I've sold the company. I forgot to tell you. And he think that would be really awesome to do. Yeah. But Tony was just a fantastic guy. I mean, my favourite. <coughs> kind of driving thing that this is Eleanor Roosevelt um, and her quote years and years ago that the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of the dream. And Tony and I agreed our deal in Canada when the day Jensen won the Grand Prix, when it was taken down. And we used to have this little ritual of a bit of a hug on the grid at the catering. And he'd agreed to do it and I walked away and I turned around and said, you've no idea how you changed my life. And it, I'd still remember brown face, red hat, just like I'm the biggest dreamer of them all. And yeah, but to believe in someone else's. Yeah. And that's exactly how he runs his business. You know, kids who were baggage handlers, you go and say, what do you want to do? And they'd say, well, I'd really like to be a pilot. And he'd let them train as a pilot. Amazing. It's an awesome guy. It broke my heart when, um, we kind of timed out on his motor racing involvement. But we've still got air agent on the car. Yeah. And we will always have it on the car. So when did you get a chance to run in anger? 2012 in August and... Where was that? Kemble? At Kemble, yeah. We, we established a relationship with um, Ronan Harvey and his daughter Susanna at Kemble Airfield. Partly because the owners, two, yeah, two of our guys, Andrew Hurdle and Kieran Westman, both lived down there. And Andrew was the guy who came with me in 84 to buy the Orpheus. 
and you know how you lose touch with people. The one thing I've really felt was an advantage of LinkedIn was that I found Andrew again. And then he bought Kieran, and Kieran used to race Dragster's jet cars. So they were the first crew, and they were the guys who got the engine running. We took it down to Campbell, we had an agreement with them. Ronan. Ronan and Susanna, and they, we actually had a massive hangar that was like that room and all of this were twice as big, completely on our own. And then we shared it with a Hawker Hunter, and then gradually it full up and we got moved around a bit. But we had four or five years down at Campbell for nothing. It's just awesome, and that's where we first ran. How did the relationship with them? Did they just like you, or they liked the enterprise? Or I think they liked the idea of what we were trying to do. And Andrew knew Susanna. Um, I don't know. Some people, people like these projects. I think. I did you run it there much? Yeah, we we, we did the first um, that run you saw there. That was in Campbell. And Campbell's not really long enough for what we no, wanted to do. Two kilometres. I live in the village of Campbell. <laughs> I'm sorry about the noise, mate. <laughs> Actually, that's, that's, sorry, that's the first time I've really heard how noisy it is. Because I never hear the noise. Yeah. Well, there used to be this, these occasional sort of mysterious jet noises. Kemble <laughs> is actually a busy, was a busy airfield when I worked, moved in. And I used to, I would get used to hearing something, a jet powder, and I would look up, you know, the approach to runway 27, and there wasn't anything there. Like, well, we were classified as a, an aeroplane. Which was really cool <coughs> because that meant that they could charge us less than if we'd been a calf. And catering, funny enough, used to go testing there. And I remember winding Karen Chandler up because he spun a catering in a straight line. I couldn't figure out how I knew about it. <laughs> so, what, what did you achieve at Campbell? 205.22. But so, you went faster than Andy Green went at. Um, yeah. No, that's not fair. I mean, his car's totally different. He's got to slow that sucker down. Yeah. Um, on this, I just think it's amusing. If you look at the top left, pink car with a white AirAsia, that was what AirAsia came back to us with as a proposal for corporate identity. And the rest of it is what Ian Hutchinson did. And he's the guy who, do you remember the TWR Jaguars? Um, and the Caliber. Yeah, yeah. Sierra touring cars, those were all Ian's work. And he is a genius that we always used to do in our um, corporate liveries. And the low and the, and the biggest image is, is, is as it is, yeah? That was as exactly yeah. was it, as it was. Yeah, it looks terrific. And the day we went down to Campbell, and our stickers guy came down and made my red car into this red and white thing, it was like, I don't know, watching. It's almost as exciting as watching your kids being born and seeing this dream that you've had all these years coming alive with every layer of vinyl the guy put on it. It's just stunning. It's really good fun. Amazing. Then what happened? Then we ran. We did that. Um, it was actually really annoying because on the 22nd I went and looked in the mirror and said, all right, do you teach today you become a jet car driver? But I didn't because all that bit where we were squirting flame out the back um, that's just like playing. Um, that's not the reheat, that's the flame thing, so you can show off. And all the grown-ups had gone from Campbell that day, and there was one monkey in charge, and he was unhappy because 
firing came out the back of it in the parachute and it's all run out. Well, every time you shut the engine down, it automatically deploys the chute. And because there's no speed to keep the chute going, it just pops out. And trying to explain to this guy, was, it just wasn't going to happen. Uh, he was so obsessed with... This was an air, airfield official or something? Yeah, just some idiot. So the next day, Susanna was back and just ripped him into pieces. And then we did actually one on the 23rd, which is when we did 205. But we're all looking pretty happy here. So on the left, you've got Andrew Hurdle. Yeah. The guy next to him is Paul Jewell. Well, Paul lives down near you. And he just attached himself. He's an electrician. He's brilliant and he's still with us. And he's just an awesome guy. Um, don't know the guy in the middle. The guy next to him is Kieran Westman. And then that's Tom. I don't know, Sam? I don't think Sam was there that day. But we were pretty happy. Yeah. Um, I mean, the car looks lovely, I think. It does. Fabulous. But we had a little problem. And I wish I hadn't. Outside, this is Campbell himself, which is just. I really have fond memories of that place. But we had a problem. I'm sorry, let's go into this. This is just the. This is my <coughs> other office. So, the top left is the button that you press when you want the reheat. And when you actually want to engage the reheat, you have what you call a hot shot. And you press that, you just press it once, and then you're lit and you're moving. And the button below on the left is the one you press if you want to do the flame show. Right. And then the bottom two are just to start it up. And then on the left, you've got the um, exhaust gas temperature, which at times, <laughs> it should be about 600. At times it goes right around to 1,000 degrees, which I'm told makes the back end almost white hot. And then on the other side is um, percentage of rev. So when you fire this thing up, it idles at 40%. And you'll hear the start procedure a bit later on. And then you throttle it forward to 100%. Presumably at 40% it's trying to go, is it? Not really. But if you didn't have a, you've got um, a foot brake on the right, and then the one on the left, which you can just see yeah. that little um, gold thing to the left of the steering wheel is the dead man's pedal, so if you take your foot off that, it shuts everything down. Oh, I see. And then on the right, to the very right, is the parachute lever, and next to it is the high-pressure fuel cock. So when you open that up, that's when you're in go shape, and that's when you screw it up to 100%. When you pull that back, it automatically shuts down the engine and pops the chute. Pops the chute, yeah, gotcha. So it's relatively simple. Um, I didn't like the idea of hand throttle, but it's amazing how quickly you're used to it. You were going to say you had a little problem that day. Yeah, I mean, we did all this sort of running and that was, that was fun, but Kieran detected that there was a problem with the rear bearing on the engine. And I kind of, to be honest, I wish I'd just carried on. I let myself be talked into trying to find another motor. Uh, you can see actually here that the reheat flame is really weak. That should be blue, not should it? flashy orange. Mr. Green watched that footage and said, um, you're fuel limited and the reheat's weak and something else. Like three things, it was absolutely spot on. Just from watching like 10 seconds of yeah. footage. And you can see that's how the chute opens. You can see we've got the chute attachment underneath the engine. Very short strut line and quite a big shoot. 
or yeah, would, just, would sort of add up to not the right way when we went quick. Is that how it was fitted when you yeah. bought it? And that's how Ian had used it on the um, on the drag strips. Right, I see. But this is you taking that. Oh, this, this was spread out a little flame show. We did two days after that run. They had um, a Bastard Britain meeting at Cambridge, so we said we'd do some little things. So yeah. we were making a bit of a noise one day. That looks like the Red Arrows. Are yeah, it is. The Red Arrows used to be at Campbell, didn't they? A long time ago, yeah. yeah. But um, that's on the right hand bit, that's Susanna Harvey and those two guys. Because here, um, with the, the guys behind somebody said, so we've got seven pilots. And I said, well, you've got six pilots and a driver. Because those guys, the amount of training they do is incredible. And they're, they're proper guys. They know exactly what they're doing, which I think I do. <laughs> and they, one of those guys, it was really funny when James Leslie, um, who was like my fourth son after David died, he, um, when, Dave, when James got his wings, we went up to um, the ceremony and this guy kept looking at each other saying, how do we know each other? And then we suddenly realised he was one of the pilots that was at Kendall that day. Oh, really? So we ran in the rain um, to sort of just demonstrate the car. And Tom said, you better be really careful there because I've nearly slipped over on the runway. And I had my dark visor, it was pissing with rain. And we were just running, I don't know, 80 miles an hour, but doing flame show. Right. So it's a bit like running a car with a clutch. Yeah, it might have looked spectacular, but it wasn't. Um, but we couldn't figure out why the, the whole runway was so slippery, apart from that it was wet. And then we realised the red arrows to get all the flame and smoke and all that is diesel. So there was just puking away at raw diesel everywhere. Yeah. So I mean, we could never have run quickly there anyway. Tell us about the name. Stay gone, yes. Yeah. Um, Uh, there, there's a picture which will explain it slightly in a minute. Um, this is just us looking at a rear bearing problem, um, which is a real bitch to do because you have to undo 140 nuts and bolts where the jet pipe attaches to the engine, and it is a horrible job. How can you tell the bearings? I mean, can well, you hear it? Or um, I can't was actually, there a pressure gauge or something? Or? No, I can't remember how Kieran figured it out, but once we took it off, you could actually feel. Yeah, it was pretty knackered. Okay. But if anything had gone wrong, it would have happened behind me, so I wasn't that bothered. But I let myself get talked into changing that motor, and we bought two slightly more powerful ones. Um, Orpheus? No, 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 Vipers again, Vipers, but Vipers, yeah. um, different models. And Andrew and Kieran got well tucked up by a pretty unpleasant gentleman. And they were useless. And this is actually one of my favourite picks because I'm thinking of taking a hammer to the car because it would idle, but it would not go to full power. And all you would do in trying to make it do that is put so much fuel in that the jet pipe was white hot in the end. So we couldn't figure it out. We changed every single thing, fuel pump, all the other bits and pieces for something that we knew worked previously. And it went on and on like this. And this is when every time we go down to Campbell, we'd be saying, oh, I'm sure that's we'll figured it out this time. Yeah. Yeah, that's Tom laying down, sort of thinking, well, I don't know what it is. I'm thinking, 
shit, you know, I really want to destroy something, and Sam's taking the picture. But what I love about it is the fact that we never gave up. So we just kept pushing on with that. Um, and the reason, I don't know if anyone will recognise this guy, this is Roger Williamson, who was killed in the 1973 Dutch Grand Prix, and he is the reason why I never give up. Because that was Roger's complete... That was his mantra? Yeah. And it served him well, did it, during his career? It should have. Should have. I mean, yeah. It was horrible what happened to him. Is he the guy that was uh, Tom Wheatcroft's? Yeah, who yeah. was yeah. left to die by the master's exam book. Um, and that was 1973, and I still think about that. Like every week. I, I, for some reason, I'll think of him, or Tony Bryce, or Tom Bryce. Tom Bryce, they're all part of my, in my head the whole time. And Roger was just an awesome, and I was a kid when he was racing. So it made a huge impression. When you saw him racing, just, yeah, that ethos of not giving up. And if I did give up, it would be kind of dishonouring him, so. Did the thought of these people dying have any impact on you? Because, I mean, you were... Not at the time, but <laughs> it's very easy to write. Well, it's not easy to write about these things, but it's easy when you're looking at the theory side of it, if you like. The reality is totally different. You know, when I was a kid, it kind of sounded quite romantic that Seagrave will go out and then he got killed and what a way to go kind of shit. But then you think, well, actually, there's nothing romantic about it at all. No. No, when you're doing it, there's nothing, you don't even think about things like that. No. Which is interesting because all these drivers like Jacques Villeneuve, when he won his first Grand Prix, I so desperately wanted him to de devote it to Gilles. And because he's Jacques, he deliberately didn't. And I can understand why he didn't. Um, but that wasn't what was in his head at the time he was winning. But you, know, you don't think in those romantic terms when you're actually driving no. those things. No, no. But that guy, yeah. Him and Campbell were probably the two biggest influences. He was you. Um, this guy, <coughs> sometimes you have to force people to give you money. This is Alex Moss. Yeah. And Alex is a... Which one? <laughs> He's a fantastic guy. And Diana knows, where are you Dan? Diana over there knows him really well. Um, you'll remember I fed him, met him first in Darlington when he came up for the Croft Touring Car Race. And I figured he might be good for some money. So we talked motor racing crap all night. And at the end of the evening I sort of said, you realise you and I are the only two people who know what we're talking about because we were talking about Dick Barker and guys from the 70s. And every time you sort of, he remembered Dick Barker when you were talking about him, it was like a little hook. He um, was, he was... Uh, he was running a touring car team, well, and he was sponsoring several touring car teams. And he had a lot of dosh. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's in aggregates. Oh, I see. So, um, you know, it was a fishing expedition. And at the end of it, Di said, oh, he loves you. And I'm not good. And then he loved us enough to give us some money. And he's still with us. <coughs> he's a very strange bloke. He's a lovely bloke, but another one of these people that's really like Tony. Yeah. Really hard to pin down. So that's how we got the new colour scheme with Duo. Um, 
one of the things is you cannot run these things without money. And like I was saying, it could cost nearly 30 grand for two days. And if you get rained off, you don't get a lot of that back. No, no. And then another um, tithing association that we ran with in 2017, they charged 15 grand for two days. This was where? At Elvington. Elvington. Yeah. So that, you know, you had a course <coughs> surveyed and everything set up for that. But it's still expensive. Just give us the give us the stay gold. How do, how do we? Yes, sorry. Um, okay. This is this is quite funny because I wanted a tail fin on the car, so I made one out of wood, um, hardwood or whatever. It's a bit better than hardwood. And I sort of gave it to the boys, and the new crew are the people who've um, recovered Bluebird K7 from Coniston right. and rebuilt it, and are now running it. And Bill Smith, funnily enough, I didn't really like Bill when I first met him, but something was on TV about jet boats that my brother-in-law called me about. And I thought, so I watched how Bill was in it, in this program. So I thought, right, I'm going to call him. So I called him up and said I'd like to come and see Bluebird. <coughs> They're only up the road in Newcastle, so I went up there. And then halfway through the conversation, he goes, I better know what's wrong with your car. Well, I'd heard that a thousand times, and nobody ever did. Um, but Bill actually really did, and he's the guy that got our car fixed for us. So anyway, I take this channel wood up and said, could you sort of chamfer it and make it vaguely like an area? So we're not putting that crap on our car. So said, well, we need a win. We need a fit. So they built that in two days. Wow. And it's beautifully made, and actually it's one of the Probably the best thing we put on the car because it's what I think actually stopped us rolling over completely. Two questions. Why did you need a fin? And what was, you said he, he found the problem. What was the problem? The problem was it was a bit like, um, it was in the fuel system. And if you imagine the, say, the clutch pedal on your car, if you hold it down, but the um, rubbers in the master cylinder are worn and the fluid's seeping back past them. So <coughs> actually your clutch isn't working. And it was as simple as that, but he's one of these people who can just go back to first principles. I actually looked at getting the fuel pump rebuilt by Rolls Royce at one stage, but it cost 10 grand. Yeah, come on. So, um, yeah, Bill was the guy who fixed that. Um, what was the other question? Why did you need a pin? Ah, yeah. Um, this is going to sound very Andy Greenish, but what you really want is. Um, centre of gravity up the front, so all the way to the front, and the centre of pressure at the back. Behind, yeah. Um, let me see if I can find that. Okay, it doesn't go back. But imagine where the engine is in the car, that's about where the centre of gravity is. Right. So the centre of pressure is in front of it. Um, that is called your static margin. And what you need is a positive one, not a negative one. And, a, and you have a so, negative one. Yeah, and basically... Could you feel that? No. I mean, you know, Richard Noble has always gone, oh, God, it's the wrong way around, blah, blah, blah. Yes, but all these dresses are the same. So they still tend to run in a straight line. But ideally, you want the weight up the front. And you're not going to get that with one of these that's got 800 pounds of engine. But you can pull the static margin back and be, I think, we're very... We're almost positive. 
And if we put some fairings in front of the rear wheels, which we might, that will actually pull it behind. So it's for stability, um, and it should give you better stability in crosswinds as well. But this, to me, is what our boys are like. Yeah. You know, they don't do things by halves. That's a lovely piece of work. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I was very um, rueful that I'd ruined oh, yeah. Richie Harrison's work on his fin, but without that, would have probably rolled right over. So here's so Elvington. Elvington. Yeah. Um, that concrete pad to the left, if you look, you can just see just beyond it, there's a little kind of return road. Oh, yeah. That's where we kind of based ourselves. And then we ran just before the darker grey. Yeah, the darker grey is the actual runway as it is now. Yeah. You can use all Rare of that. Yeah. Trust me, we'll, we'll need all of it. Yeah. This end's the, the good end. The other end, you don't want to run off this end. <coughs> You've maybe got 200 metres of emergency grass. Is Elbington the best it's the only in the one. country? It's the only one because the nice people at Fairfield won't entertain us. Is it two miles? Well, 3,000 metres, whatever that is. Right. Okay. So you've got 500 metres time distance in the middle, 1250 run up and right. 1250. So that is close to so two miles, isn't it? Yes, I think it is. It's yeah. 2.1 or something. Um, and it's got a bit of a crown on it, but it's the only place. So we made the most of it. And then this is us getting to Elvington and unloading it. It, it might look like a chicken coop, our trailer. Neil and Joanne know that it's pretty rough, but actually it's not. It's all been redone now. Well, so it looks pretty good to me. It's a lot better than not having one. Well, yeah. And you need to hide it. Because when Ian Casey originally had the car, his trailer was open. And he couldn't understand why nobody was overtaking him on the motorway. Because they're all staring at this car. Yeah, of course they would do, wouldn't they? I think she looks like kind of sexy. Must be hellish long on, on the, the trailer, must be enormously long. How long is the. Uh, well, yeah. Um, it's fitting now because it's called the grandpa rule, isn't it? Um, and being a grandfather now, um, I can drive the trailer that Tom and Sam can Oh, yeah, that's right. So with Monster Truck, yeah. which is an L200. And then the trailer, I think we were 49 feet long, <laughs> without the articulation of the right <coughs> places. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty difficult thing to drive sometimes, okay. to, to um, manoeuvre, let's yeah, say. Yes, so reversing must be a bit of an adventure. <laughs> well, yeah, because when, when we first got it, I had to reverse it a bit on my own, because nobody was there. You, just, you literally can't see a thing behind you. You have no idea. So oh, that's this is the picture I wanted. Learning keeps you young, ambition keeps you wild and ballsy. Parent of mind, stay gold, NP. And that was something Nadia said in September the 14th, 2007 in an email about something else. And then I said, what is this stay gold thing? And that's when she explained, stay gold is um, a Robert Frost poem. And it's basically about everything in life gets older and falls apart and dies. And if you remember this, um, The Outsiders, um, the movie, <coughs> is all about nothing gold can stay. And I thought, well, actually, this is all about saying bollocks to that. And that you find the people that matter to you in life or the dreams and everything else, and you hold on to them and you keep pushing and you keep them and you make them stay gold. Fantastic. And all our boats were called Restless Spirit. Um, 
but that's that's a boat name, it's not a car name. So we needed something different, and it just seemed to tick the bill. Yeah, very memorable. Too. It was better than something like Exit Strategy or anything more. <laughs> 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 so, I, I really like the idea. Just yeah, that's a terrific idea. And that's a view straight down the runway at Elmington. Yeah. No, that's actually. Because, uh, yeah, that was when we went to Carlisle Airport and did some engine tests uh -huh. um, just before we went to Elvington. But here we are at Elvington, and I just, I think that car's so pretty. Uh, the guys that do, I don't know how they do it when they vinyl wrap, but that nose is kind of compound curves, and there weren't any creases in it or anything else. It's such an awesome no, they're job. Amazing. They are amazing. They accompany up at Bishop. Um, Stalford. That's you can see the um, the cable. So the procedure is you have a thirty-six battery somewhere else. We have three green, yeah. twelve four batteries all linked in series. And there's a, some sort of start motor in there. You plug that in, yeah. and then um, rotates it. We have quite a complicated starter box which Paul created, Paul Jewell, which I have no idea how it works, but then I don't have to. Do you remember that thing where somebody said to Martin Brumble, how do you start a Formula One car? And he went, well, just do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not my ballywick. Well, but also, you can see this is, um, again, quite a good thing of how the shoe opens. Is that LB2? Yeah. And that's a, another 205 run, because to begin with, it felt quite good when we ran the first time, and then I was thinking, yeah, that was okay, and then I got back and the guy said it really went out after four seconds. And the inference was you must have taken your finger off the funnel, which really pissed me off because I knew I didn't. And then we had like four runs without reheat. So we were doing uh, five years of progress from Canberra and we'd gone up one mile an hour, I think. Does it feel fast, 200? No. Because, why not? Because of, because know, of the open just, space? It just doesn't, because you're not... Because it feels stable still and all that? Yeah, and you're not accelerating very hard, you know, you're not doing more than 1G, I don't think. Um, it sounds odd to say it doesn't feel fast, but it doesn't. Yeah. You know, maybe the first run of the day or the first run after a while, I thought that was quite a good one. So I was really, really disappointed when, when it was just the same as Campbell. But you can really... Because I didn't really know the reheat well enough, um, I couldn't really tell that it wasn't in the whole time. In retrospect, once we had the runway, it was working. Oh yeah, I can tell now. How do you, have you got some sort of data logger on board? Or yes, you... I'll get to that later because that's a really important okay. key part of it all. So um, everything was going okay. And then <clears throat> we started having a problem that we'd had testing the engine in Carlisle, when the guys were, I was sat in the cockpit in the sun, um, having a nice time, and then I heard the boys walk past and say something about the engine seized. <coughs> How does an engine, jet engine seized? And we, we hadn't had this problem before, but then we hadn't run this engine in anger. And basically, you've got the jet pipe, and at the front of the jet pipe there's a triangular sort of opening, um, and this is Inconel, which is a very um, heat-resistant metal, but it was this panel 
is somehow flexing and interfering with the final yeah, section of the engine. Ah. So I was actually locking it. Mm. And I remember when I heard the boys talking about this, because the whole thing, I came home from Hungary. Um, the Grand Prix. Yeah. And then, like, the next two weeks, every day there was a problem. Of, like, the trailer went broke, and we had to get another one, or little funny little recessed washers that you fix the seat in. We couldn't find them, we had to get some more. And it was just like fighting fires. And then to go testing, and the guy said, the engine's seating. Shit, we can't afford another engine. Um, but we kind of, we thought we'd fixed it, and then it came back. And this was interesting, because the guy, you'll see later, there's a guy stands in front of the car before it runs, he keeps doing this all the time, meaning when you buy it down. Um, he was part of this timing association. Um, he said, subsequently, you didn't seem to have much leadership in your team, which pissed me off a lot. But I said, it's, I'm not a headmaster, and my job is to drive the car. Um, you obviously didn't look enough. Um, Richard Noble was always banging on about flat pyramids, which I suddenly realised, even though I was really cynical about them, it's like guy in the middle knows what he's going to do, but so do all the others, so they just get on with it. But somebody's got to lead it. But anyway, it turned out we'd become a flat pyramid operation. Um, How did you fix this problem? Well, you? this was the interesting thing because Bill and his guy didn't build like, I think they were doing something that evening, so they wanted to get off and say, we'll fix it in the morning. And you think, well, no. And Tom just said, no, we're not doing that. We're taking the car back to Darlington. We're going to fix it there. So, again, we'd taken all of this off. We'd taken the pipe off. But then we took it back to Darlington, took the whole thing off. And Paul used up two diamond-tipped <coughs> um, grinding things, grinding wheels, to open it up into a circle. We could never have done that in the field. Hacksaw wasn't going to do it. Yeah. So that was Tom's leadership, and Tom just put his foot down and said, right, this is what we're going to do. And that was the solution? Yeah. So we did have leadership. Um, had it not resolved itself, then I would have said, that's what we're going to do. But like I said, my job is just to shut up and drive it and leave the boys to do what they do best. But that was exactly the right decision. And if we hadn't, we then driving 50 miles home and then 50 miles back the next morning, but it was exactly the right thing to do. Very nice view of the fin there. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's cool. It looks quite nice, I think. And there we are all looking at handsome best. So left to right, there's Sam and Tom, my two boys. The big guy, that's Bill Smith, Mike Ball, um, Lieutenant Tankblower, as he's known. Yeah. Um, Paul Stabler, who is one of my good mates who looks after all our cars anyway, and houses gold, and then Paul Jewell. Tank blower. There's a thing with these cars. I've, I've never tried to sit in Bluebird because it doesn't seem right. Um, unless I was invited to, I wouldn't. When they got the engine running was on January the 4th, the 50th anniversary of Campbell's death, which was a nice little bit of synergy. But Mike took it upon himself to be in the cockpit, which I'm not going to make a fuss about, but it's, you know, it's like you come home and find that because the guy's cleaning your house and sleeping with your wife. <laughs> anyway, they got it up to 93%, and then because we were pressurising the fuel tank, which you have to, 
we aren't pressurized because the wells were done properly and it blew all the ejection over, which was quite a bit dangerous. <laughs> no, I mean, it was, it was okay, but it was just a bit messy. Yeah, right. well, um, what are the circumstances here? Do we, where is the. This is Elvington, so this is the morning of. Um, and this is us just posing because we all thought we looked quite cool. Um, oh, you did. I'm wearing my marigold gloves as they're known. Very nice. The yellow ones. <clears throat> and you can see it wasn't the best weather, but it was the only weather we were going to get. Um, what, what's the what, what's the uh, crosswind situation? Presumably, Elvington is. Well, it's interesting over. because um, Andy was saying about Bloodhound recently, wasn't he? That 15 mile an hour crosswind is okay. Yeah, that. And we thought it was a crosswind that was our problem, and there was. <coughs> We found out there was a seven mile an hour crosswind, but actually that doesn't really make a lot of difference. Mm -hmm. But when you see some, we'll show you a bit of footage in a minute, you can hear it's quite windy because the mics are picking it up. Um, it didn't feel like, you know, there's nothing in the car that made it feel like it was getting blown around. But it's another thing that we will look into very carefully right. in the future. So at the, at the moment, this when this picture's taken, what have you achieved? You're, nothing. You're, we've, we've, but you've taken you our Elvington and you've yeah. got it. This car. is the second day at Elvington. And the cars delivered 93% of what have you said? No, we got it up to 102 in the end. Oh, this was in January when they got it really. Right. Okay. That was the other thing. Massively impressive. It's bloody cold up in um, North Shields. And I was freezing and I was thinking, okay, well, let's pack up. No, 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 they stripped the entire two fuel tanks are in the front, in the bit just behind where I'm sat. Yeah. Steering column runs through them, had that all stripped out in half an hour, and then Bill um, welded the fuel tank when it was done, had it all back together right. the following night. And you think, yeah, it's actually massively humbling when you think these guys are doing it all because they believe what you want to achieve. It also sounds a little bit hazardous welding somebody's fuel tank. Well, it was, <laughs> it was really clever how he did it because um, I don't know what he washed it with. But he washed it several times with some cleaning fluid to get rid of all the fuel. And he was really scathing about the standard of welding on this thing. He did a fantastic job. But that's uh, still that's still. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's it's perfect. I think we pressured it perhaps a little bit too much, but even so it should have withstood that. But um, I mean now's a good time to talk about how you get a team. We were lucky in the old days with Andrew and Kieran, um, but because of the distance, and when we moved the car back to the northeast, um, it was difficult for them to stay involved. And then Bill and Mike came along, Paul Stavis always been massively into it, and we just found ourselves a great little team. And when you find that everybody there is there because they want, you know, it's their car, as much as it's our car, I think. Mm. And it was, it was like years and years ago when I went up to TWR, when Tom Walkinshaw built this, it started off with a V12, seven litre V12 for our boat, and then realised it didn't, it was too heavy, didn't have the torque. So they made us a twin turbo Metro V6, which had about 900 and something horsepower, and it blew itself to bits. So they went back to one with a single supercharger. And I remember driving down the M40 on the way home thinking, I've seen a thousand race teams. This is the first time I've ever come home where everything I've seen is for me. 
but I have no idea why. Uh, Tom Walkinshaw, tough boy, you, you know him. I knew him, yeah. And in 91, I just bought this hull to go off to the UK propeller record, and we walked down from the car park to Monaco to the paddock, twisting over over the side of the sea. There's Tom. Hey, DT, how are you doing? How am I going to someone up the balls to ask him? And I just, just ask him, I'll either say yes or no. And I explain what we're doing. I asked Brian Hart already, because I wanted a turbo four cylinder for him. No interest at all. So I plucked up all my courage and asked Tom, he went, hey, yeah, look, we can do that. Sorry, did you say yes? <laughs> yeah. And he did. He honoured everything he said he'd do. And unfortunately, we couldn't. It's funny when you're the guy that's meant to be asking all the questions and you find these people doing it for you and I still don't know why. Yeah. Like Whitmarsh, why what made him say yes? And to, be so, well, to be so kind. Yeah, well, Jesus. Yeah, but not many people with the balls do <coughs> So tell, tell us what. So you can see it's a bit yeah. overcast. Yeah. Um, again, this is what time the, the morning of <coughs> August 17th. August 17th. 17th, 18th. Yeah. So that's what we did. So obviously we crashed at about um, 10.33, five seconds or something like that. But it's very important that although we did 2.97, 296.6 peak, it's not really that close to the record of 301 because it's all about average speed. And this is our average speed, 275, and we ideally need 305. But to be within 30 miles an hour on our first run, I was ecstatic because it was very funny. I was talking to the guy who ran the timing association and I said, should we start 800,000 meters back from the measured distance and went, oh my god, no, you don't need that much. So I said, seriously, you know, you won't need anything like that. So we, I think we did about 425 metres. So bear in mind, we could probably do 600, 650 metres run up if we need to, to hit 275 average from such a short run up is awesome. And the thing we didn't know was how fast the car was with reheat. And normally with this you would kind of go up in 50 mile an hour increments, but we didn't, you know, we didn't know what it was going to do when we got the motor really firing up. So this was a greater, this was quicker than you expected. Yeah, and actually, um, I, I kind of realised that we wouldn't have a crack at the UK record, but the um, timing association we were using is the UK timing association. Their record was 261, so I thought, well, maybe we can. Do that, and, you did. and if we'd managed to do a return, oh, return around, we yeah. could have been all right. So that surprised me. Um, it's quite funny because after I got out of the car, um, Sam was on the phone interviewing someone for a job at FOM, and someone's banging on the window. Oh, I'm busy. Sam, Sam uh, works for Formula One, Formula One management. He has another job. Yes, Sam does the social media. For so he was busy dealing with this, and this guy is trying to tell him your dad's just crashed. 
So then Tom comes up, and Tom obviously sees I'm in one piece, so he kind of hears me. Um, there's Trevor from Straight Line has showed me that slip. And then Tom came up with his computer and said, you should see one of the piece pieces. So just, just to get, get the orientation of this, you, you set off on run one. Yeah, I think we did one, one or two runs before that and found out that we still wasn't working. Okay. But instead of just hitting it once, um, I don't know what they did, but Bill just said, keep your foot, well, keep your thumb oh, yeah. down the whole time. So I did. Okay. And so this was like the third one of the day. Okay. And then, and then what? Then it all went wrong. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but you were, you were, it was, it was the return? No, we only did one run. Oh, I see. Okay. So, um, but we did the um, earlier two, which were, like I said, disappointing. And then we just towed it back down to the star line again. We didn't okay. do a return. Was the, were, <clears throat> on the run when you crashed, two things. What went wrong? But were you going quicker than you had gone in the previous runs then? or Yes, by a long way, because this this was the first one when we had the reheat working properly. Oh, I see. And actually, you know, having said that, I wasn't sure how the reheat felt. I was sure by the end of that one. Right, so there's a Yeah, but you, you sort of launched the thing, and it's not massively, massively quick, but it's like this. Ian had said to me it'd be like going very fast in your favourite armchair, and it's not far off. And actually, when I'm, I'm, if I'm ever asked to fill in a survey for Emirates about, you know, their planes and everything else, I always put something saying, my jet dragster's more comfortable than your seat, so don't bother a minute. <laughs> so it is, it's, it's not an armchair. Presumably the rate of acceleration doesn't diminish like it does in your car. It's no, it just builds because you're yeah. packing more and more air in. Um, you know when you take off in a plane, it's yeah. quite a cool feeling, isn't sure. it? Yeah. I try not to sit there pretending, but um, it just feels really good. I mean, the rocket car I drove, that was like someone smashing a sledgehammer into your head because that was 247 miles an hour in 1.8 seconds from step to start. But that's just insane. Yeah, you does your back in if you do it too many times. It's just insane. It was just something you can't really figure. So what? So on the fateful run, you you started off. It felt good. It 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 was much quicker. What what happened? What went wrong? Did it did it? it, it everything was fine until you until the shoot did fall. Yeah, I mean it, it was funny because okay, we took off and I'd held it at like a hundred and one percent on the brakes, then hit both buttons and whoosh, off we went. And you all the way to the measured thing, you're thinking, oh, this is quick. And then you get into the measured distance, what you think? Come on, come on, come on, like hurry up. Yeah. It's really odd because it all slows down. Yeah. Um, like it's meant to. And I don't know whether it would or not. You don't know whether it's like a blizzard. But it didn't. It all kind of slowed down. It was really nice and thinking, well, How yeah, long were you in the measured distance at, at that sort of speed? Four seconds. Four seconds. Four point zero one or something like that. Wow. And then I, I did actually do the math, sorry, last night. I can't remember what it was, but it's like four point oh one. And it felt so it's just really nicely fast, not scary fast, but like, well, okay, this is good. But I didn't think it was as quick as it was. So then you pass a marker and you know yeah, you've got so a... you've, right in the distance, <clears throat> you have two black markers, and one of them has a big red light on it, 
and basically that's your lifeline. So you just follow that. Just look at that. You don't look at anything else. You sure as hell don't look at instruments because I've got any instruments to look at anyway. I don't care. No. You know, if the engine's going to blow up, it's going to blow up. I'm not looking at that. And you wouldn't look to the side. Although FOM is going to lend us a 360-degree camera, which could be quite fun so long as we can figure out where to mount it. So that if we get upside down again, we're not going to be 15 grams of the damage. Don't but do it. That would be interesting because obviously if you look to the side, it's an awful lot faster than it is. Tell us about the steering authority. You know, <coughs> presumably this thing's got a turning circle about half a mile. Something like that, yeah. But what? But do do you actually steer it, or do, does it? Does well, it, you have to. Um, does a fin take over or something? Or? No, but it just runs pretty straight. You can see it slightly deviates Very from the centre line. But yeah, um, everything about it sort of makes it run straight. The only thing is, it does not like yaw, as I discovered. So. It's extremely intolerant of any kind of yaw. Um, but it felt fantastic up until um, we come out of the thing. There's, there's the black marker, boof. So um, you pull that, that handle <coughs> The best the... thing I did the whole time we were there was the shoot deployment. It was awesome. It was spot on. Because if you do it too soon, you, you rub yourself. It's being too late. You maybe compromise your slowdown. But in the pictures, you can see. Yep, the shoot's fully <coughs> and open, yeah. and you're just past the little black. Is there thing. any other, there, does it have friction brakes as well? Or? Yeah, but you wouldn't, you don't bother using them until, until you you're really there for manoeuvring more than anything else. I see. You just let it kind of slow down when it wants to, but probably put them on from 50 miles an hour. I see. And you don't want to drag the shoot any more than you So can tell us the problem, tell us what went wrong. So what's happening is going on on the side. So what it did, it went onto the right hand, completely over onto the right hand side. Right, and, and then the tyres bounced it back over to the left. Oh, I see. And then bounced it back. So we were, we were kind of upside down, but not for very long. And it slowed down in 12 seconds. Which I thought was quite impressive for a metal to... Still a long time, isn't it? It's, it's okay. I mean, actually, we had a lot of space left at the end of the runway. <laughs> which was quite comforting to know. So, you know, the thing that worries me most is if we have a shoot failure oh, or something. Oh, whoops, I'm getting ahead of myself. But that's um, what happened basically was we had the shoot shouldn't be at the bottom because if you think there's, there's your wheel and then you've got a very steep angle. Right. And what it did, it had. I went so to the rear wheels. Yeah, I went to see the shoot manufacturer, and the guy is a really good guy. Jim Deist was the guy who invented shoots for these things, and the guy that I talked to, because Jim's dead, but his um, son-in-law used to drive jet cars, so he did all the maths, sort of this triangle of forces, and calculated we had two thousand pounds of lift on the back wheels against a static weight of 1,200 pounds, probably. So, you know, a net lift of 800 pounds. And what that did was just make the back end step out. It wasn't the crosswind as such. It was just that yanked the wheels up and the thing just took a tilt. And so they don't like going sideways. No. And the fin, 
In a way, kind of overpowered the fin. We might actually have a slightly bigger fin, but I still don't think that would have made any difference. So if you think about it from the side, we're like this. What we're going to do in the future is mount it at the top. We already have a mount at the top. And then we'll have a longer stop line and a slightly smaller shoot. Smaller shoot? Yeah. But what's interesting is Roger Gorringe runs a funny car jet. Really, really nice guy. And he kept saying he didn't like uh, shoot mounts. And I thought he meant, because he said I can do some welding for you if you want. And I thought he meant he didn't think they were strong enough. What he actually meant was it shouldn't be at the bottom, it shouldn't be at the top. The top yeah. And the annoying thing is the guy, Graham, that's doing all that, runs, helps Julian Webb run the sister car. And Julian's gone through all this shit and has his on the top. Actually, he doesn't, he has it on what I call a C-section, which goes over the jet pipe like that. And the chute's mounted in the middle, so it pulls it down. So if so it acts the jet pipe, it comes out on the line of thrust. Right. But we don't really need to do that. But I wish he'd said I would put the chute on the top. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you live and learn. Yeah. One of the best things of this, of course, in 2012 when we ran, I went to Spa and nobody, apart from three friends, had a toss about what we'd been doing. And I was kind of sat down in the back of the press room in tears and frustration that nobody cared. And of course this time, everybody knows exactly what you should have done. Yeah. <laughs> you are an idiot. You should have done this by no simulation. Because our budget is about yeah. what you pay for sandwiches and half a morning. Yeah. You are Bleeping idiot. If you'll catch fire, you end up like him. Close to Nicky. And Nicky's coming. And then when I left, I sort of went to shake Nicky's hand. He had a glass in it, so we linked fingers and we just went, put my head down and go, well done. Nice. Yeah. So tell us. For, for, for somebody like that to say that to a nobody was massive. Well, yeah, but you weren't a nobody. But, you know, Toto's banging on about why didn't he do this and that and anything. Because the shoot would always work. Yeah. You know, all our simulation has been CFD done for us by Leeds University, so... So tell us about, tell us about the implications of this. I mean, you, you, big loads on the body. Um, according to the news reports, you just had it cut. I did. And the really annoying thing was, there's a little cut there, and then the scab fell off. I wanted to keep it. Tell you what I don't understand. Um, two things I don't understand, and you'll see a little bit later in a pic. This is my wife, by the way, so I don't mind that pic being up there. Um, but the the hoop took all the real force, but the body panel runs to the side of the hoop, and the top of the panel was all scraped up as well. So I don't understand how that got on the ground as well. But also, it was a bit annoying, because the first time I went over, it smacked my head. And then it smacked my head the other way. So I've got my hands like this, and that's why it wore through the gloves. And one of the things that we've been sensible with, I've got some proper head protection that goes around. Um, but yeah, I mean, literally, that was plus a bit of squeezing in a private place when it was upside down. So it all comes to a halt. Yeah. Squeezing in a front. With the right way up. And you, and, I mean, how were you? Were you, were you fine. scared shitless? No. Or were you? I just got out, 
struggled a bit with a hand system catching on the So he had no trouble getting out or anything? James Beard, the photographer, is there, and I said, what the bloody hell are you doing? And he goes, trying to stay alive. Oh, sorry. He was down there, and another guy, which you'll see in a minute, Phil Evans. Um, they were both down the sharp end, if you like. But so not shocked or anything like that. Just and presumably a bit pissed off there because it wasn't going to. No, I'll tell you the real funny thing. I got out thinking, well, you, know, you just screwed your car, and I looked at it and I thought, well, can fix that. I've already decided the minute I got out that we were doing it again. So I actually said to myself, keep the trap shut until you decide whether that's what you really want to do. And what was the extent of the damage? I'll show you in a minute because we've got a few pics of it. But the medic, one of the medics, Sarah was really sweet. She didn't want to sit. You must sit down. You're going to be in shock. You're going to have a massive adrenal rush. And I said, I don't get them. No, no, no. You're, you're having it now. You're probably having it. Don't even realise me. Trust me, I don't. And then a bit later on, I went running up to her and said, I need your help. She said, I knew you would. What? And I said, well, I've been walking around talking to Trish on the phone, thinking, where's my phone? <laughs> said, oh, yeah, you're fine. But it is, it's, all of this is like a journey of discovery. And the thing I love most is being strapped in. And when I drove the rocket car, that was the uh, vanishing point with the big, you know, they, they yeah. lift the body up, squirm in, and they shut it, and then you're super strapped in. And it's really interesting because then you think, there's two ways of getting out of this car. One is to do what you're here to do, and the other is to just say, please, I can't do this, let me out. And that, that was fun. That was a very, very interesting day when I found stuff out about myself that I hoped I would. And this time, I mean, I don't get, they get big heartbeats or anything. Mm. And yet, when I drove down to Kenmore, by the time I got there, and also to Elvington, funny enough, because I went through York, big mistake, and it was raining in the trailers, big and, yeah, I got lost, and on my own, fat people are eating burgers in all the car parks, reps, and I'm thinking, I can't even get in there, you know, there's not room for me. And then, I didn't know about um, Google Maps then, because I'm a bit of a slow learner. But Tom was sort of trying to guide me in, and then Paul Stabler, bless him, said, mate, I've just seen you, you're going the wrong way. So I said, okay, Maybe you turn around. pull over and stop. And I'll find it, you know, turn around and turn around and then follow Paul in. And both times, you're sort of really stressed when you get there. And yet, more stressed than in the car. Well, when, I got, when I got to Kenmore, and again at Elvington, it's just like everything went away. And seriously, in Russia one year, I was the only person who didn't get two boarding passes. So I had to go and wait. I had an hour between flights. It took me 50 minutes to get me my luggage. I had to run down and do all that. That was a thousand times more stressful. Because I'm thinking, I'm going to be the only one of these monkeys left behind. Oh, I'm going to be stuck in Russia and I'm going to miss my flight. And that was 10,000% more stressful. And I don't understand why it is. And Elaine Larson says she always gets an adrenaline rush driving her cars. And Marisha Falk, another one of her pilots, who is a pilot, she said she doesn't get them. Mm. And a couple of others do, a couple of others don't. I don't know. What's the, 
if you don't, I mean, I've always understood that the adrenaline rush is, is the thing that propels people to do stuff like this. I mean, if you don't get an adrenaline rush, what are you doing for? Proving something to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Trish once said to me, why do you have to prove that you're better than me? And I said, I'm not. Just proving that I'm, I have a right to my opinion in racing, if you like. Yeah. And instead of sitting on my ass, not knowing what I'm talking <laughs> about, I know a little bit. Not much, but a bit. But it is, it's, it's very interesting. I'd love to sort of be hooked up to um, yeah. some of the measures of pulse rate and heart rate and all that. Yeah. But it was, I wouldn't say funny, but afterwards you think, okay, everything's gone as wrong as it could, except you're not dead, so that's quite a good start. <laughs> I didn't like all the, when it was on its own, I didn't like all the sparks. <coughs> I think this is a bit ugly, actually. And then I talked away during Reynard about it several months later. Oh, that's all right. I mean, it's low, low flash point, that stuff. Have gas. Thanks for that. Cheers. So no, time. but there were, but there, there were no fuel leaks? No. No. I mean, it, I saw John Webster, who built and designed the car. He was just a fantastic guy. looks like Postman Pat. He was a lovely, lovely man. And he said, he built this brilliant car and I said, thanks for saving my life, buddy, your car's fantastic. And it is, it's so strong. And when you'll see in the pick in a minute, how much of the roll hoop will ground down. It's quite interesting, and it's all welded itself. Yeah. In the Take us into that. The, the well, the, um, this oh, the little thing about the, the pictures. Because that was the other thing, when I go into Bill Smith's Merck, I see a picture of David Leslie on the scene. That's my picture. And I'm thinking, shit, that's why I have a little package of secret pictures. Oh, yes. Of people yeah. that I gave a ride to. That's what I saw Yeah. Obviously, Trish. And then this is Nadia, and it's all her fault. It's called Stegel. She's my best friend. And then Marlene is my other best friend. Funnily enough, they're both Canadians. Nadia is massively sportive. Trish is brilliant. She's not, she doesn't want to be there, but her sort of take on it is if it's something you've got to do, then do it. And I'd never stop you. It's yeah. massively brave. Yeah. Nadia's always supported it and came up with the stay gold. Marlene doesn't like it either, but as you can see, she's saying one of Elaine Larson's dragsters there. So um, the support you get is important, massively important. Lee Taylor, who to me is probably is important in my life is Donald Campbell. He's the guy who broke Campbell's record. Um, he's an incredible, was an incredible guy. What's behind him there? That's Hustler jet boat, which is the most beautiful vehicle ever made. And I've sat in it. I'm really proud I've sat in that boat because it's just beautiful. Sammy Miller, who Sammy gave me one of the best Sammy. days of, yeah. one of the best days of my life. Just an awesome, awesome guy. Rocket. <coughs> he did 386 miles an hour in 3.8 seconds. He was completely barking mad. I remember the stories about him. Apparently, he could only do three or four runs because it did his back and he would have to. It did his back and his eyes and all sorts of yeah. But he used to dip his hand in hydrogen peroxide to show that it was quite safe and then sort of wash it off quite quickly. But a massive showman, and he was just fantastic because the idea with 
vanishing point was not to 100. And then while I'm in there, he sort of gets me to purge the engine and says, you want a real good kit, don't you? Winds it up to 550 pounds per square inch feed for the fuel, which is what determines your speed. And that's exactly what he used to use, but we did it over an eighth of a mile. Um, I mean, Trish loved him, and so did I. He was just a superb guy. And then John Button, Jensen's dad. Yeah. Just a very, very, very good friend who I miss. And then Big Tom. Thomas, yeah. That picture is really funny because that was the picture when we went to his memorial and Brundle made a big speech about something. And he said, Tom was really pissed off. If you think if, if you think of that picture, imagine 20 degrees cooler. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is a young girl called Kat Moller who I met when I went out to CLA in Larson and their team running and Kat was the youngest jet car driver. Wow. Um, fantastic kid. And I asked her what her ambition and she just said race cars. She was the youngest um, licensed jet car driver for a while in the state. And guess what car she drove? C5 Corvette. <laughs> and Elaine has a C6. Um, and Cat, very sadly, was killed last year in a really stupid, silly accident. Just a freak accident where um, <coughs> nobody's really quite sure what happened. The car, one of the Larson cars, veered into the middle of the track where the timing lights were. And she hit the lights and the battery came and hit her in the face and killed her instantly. So Cat and another girl called Kendall Hebert, who was 17 year old was killed in a jet car, they came for a ride as well, because I figured they'd quite enjoy that. So this is the um, sort of sequence. So if we start top left, we did just under 300 there. Middle top, really nice shoot deployment. <laughs> yeah, you can see to the right of or the left in this picture of the right rear wheel you can just see that sort of black square that's the um marker really nice pleased with that and then top right okay still okay bottom right it's beginning to get a bit out of shape can you see the, is can you see some lift because it, it looks like no not no. not from here but um, in the future we plan to have a drone Oh, all sorts of real facing cameras and everything else. Middle one we're well out of shape, and then the <clears throat> um, bottom left is it's heading straight towards Phil Evans. A blessing. <laughs> Phil has been a supporter since the days of trying to do a water speed record boat, and he's the most loyal supporter. And this is the way we kind of repaid him by trying to run away. But as you can see, he's still taking pictures. And then that's it, sort of well out of shape. Yeah, yeah. And Trish was really sweet because she said, Oh, you've got opposite lock on, anything. And just wanted to wheel it out and still bend his way around like that. How much good opposite lock would do. Um, and then it, you can see at the bottom it's on the, uh, on the roll hoop. Yeah. And then it kind of flipped itself back. But it's, it's kind of changed direction, hasn't it? It's yeah, it has actually. Yeah. It's quite funny trying to work out, to begin with, I wasn't sure if it had rolled or not, to be honest. Yeah. But then you kind of work it out from seeing where the sky is in the onboard. 
And the one at the bottom is, is it stationary? The, no, 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 it's still on its, on its happy course. And then it's about to flip over onto the other side. And then luckily, like I said, it just came back onto its. And then there it is, bit of toe, bit too much toe. <laughs> toe in front. And then you can see where it's ground down there. Oh, look at that. But also you can see on the top of the body panel. Oh, yeah. I can understand how it's done that. Mm. Well, that, uh, that, that, that's an amazing sight, the way the roll cage is. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it, it sort of um, argues very forceful argument for having a very big tubular roll. Yeah. There, yeah. And what's really cool is the nose is almost completely undamaged. Yeah. Mm. And the fins are fine. And you can see the rear fin is bent, and I, like I said, I'm absolutely certain that's what prevented it rolling the whole way over. And, and what, when you had a chance to dismantle and so on, what, what was it? I mean, obviously... A few bent bits here and there. The biggest problem we've got is the front uprights, because we're going to have to have new bearings. Um, that was another awesome little day in my life when we went down to McLaren for the launch of their car this year, and I took this um, scruffy bag, which had the two uprights, and Jonathan Neal had um, Simon Roberts crack testing for us in McLaren. I thought, how cool is that? And then I came back all marked up and put in a box, like, this is how we do it. That was the state of They were fine, yeah, they were okay. But we need to um, put some new bearings in there. And there's a couple of little uh, one of the shoe jeeves was squidged by the, the day after Bill had that knocked out. So, so just not a lot. There's probably three days' work to straighten that out. Really? Um, you know, you think that's been rolled at nearly 300. I can't believe how well it took. Well, it seems amazing. I thought we were going to see the, you know, the, the sort of longitudinal path banana. You know, when I got out and looked at it, I just thought, okay, cool. That was, and you, as you said, you. You knew you were going to do it again. Mm. So tell us about what's happened since. Uh, yeah, that was quite interesting because we wanted how to. How did the news or how did the BBC get to know about this? Don't know. I mean, it's really it's really funny how much publicity we got out of it. Um, the lady that did the Northern Echo, which had the thing on the front page upside down. Um, explained how I'd bailed out a 250 and watched the car rolling down the track. I think she probably sort of forgot <coughs> half the notes she was taking. Um, the stuff she quoted Trisha saying, it was just really disappointing. But um, even I'm not stupid enough to bail out of that. <laughs> well, hard to do, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it is funny being strapped into it because I always make the point of trying to sort of take a breath and then the straps get down. And then, yeah, okay, and then Tom goes up and goes, oh, my thumb. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember Martin Brundle talking about you, how you pull down to the threshold of pain and then give it one more. Mm. Which sounds like a lot. Yeah. So, but, I mean, the other thing I've, I've learned, because I didn't like the idea of arm restraints, so I didn't run. And Bill Smith went to Newcastle, and the guy, Julian Happen, 
Smith or whatever his name is, is the guy who did the autopsy on Donald Cameron. And he said, tell your mate if he wants so many arms left next time he does that. If that was wrong, it would sit for you and do big time. What would you do? Just have you, you just have them, yeah, sort of here, straps or and then they go on the seatbelt. Oh, and I got Joe, the guy at Deast in LA, to explain that. Um, and he explained it in words of one syllable, like grow up and get on with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Good point. So the so, next day, you, so you have the accident. You, you presumably you're, you set about clearing it up and all the rest of it. How did you feel that night and the next day? Fine. Fine. I was quite grateful though because James Leslie was getting married on the Saturday and I would have been really annoyed with myself if I'd screwed up his wedding. And then the really funny thing was um, Holly, his fiancée's wife, I was introducing her father-in-law and James had said about he just crashed on doing the land speed record in Britain. And he is part of a project to run a twin engine drag car to do the same thing. So I said, dude, you're wasting the money, come with us. <laughs> These guys are quite well involved. So their thing, I don't know why you need two engines, but still. Um, two jet engines? Yeah. Yeah, it must be bulky. It's going to be heavy. But it's quite funny. It's actually really funny that the coincidence of it all. But yeah, I've, I've never had a moment's. It's really interesting, I've come to the conclusion that the times you can scare yourself the most of these things is when you're lying in bed at night, when you kind of let things run through your head. Um, and, you know, can I do this? Joe Sagan once said to me, um, we're talking about, very rare that we talk about, but he said, um, well, you must have known you could do it. Well, you never do until you try these things, do you? No, I suppose not. You know, I know I could never do a bungee jump, and I would not want a parachute out of an aeroplane. But it's different stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. So what... Okay, so you you felt good the next day, the wreckage had been cleaned up, what then? Um, By that time you decided you wanted to do it again? Yeah, I mean, I would be talking about on the way home, but we were going to do it again. And Bill was already talking about what he needs to do to rebuild it. Um, 2018, we ran out of money, and then this year we had a crew move mutiny, which was interesting because I'm trying to think how it actually came about. Alex came in with some more money, that's right, and I was thinking, well, actually, and then somebody else said they gave us some money, so I was thinking, well, this was like June. Or July, maybe. We should be able to make a, an August date for Elvins and so on. Push, push, push. Okay. I fiddled this bit of resistance with the group and thought, I'm going to get this email from Bill saying, um, actually, none of us want to carry on with this and it's been reckless. So I straightened the needle straight to the red thing and they mean I'm reckless. I'm thinking I'm the only bit of it can actually work. Mm. And then, so. Well, it can't um, work, does it? Well, bits of it. Um, so I said to Tom and said, we need to find a new crew then if they don't want to do it. Blah, blah, blah. Just calm down. Like they do. Your kids always do that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, it's not about you. They're not saying you're reckless. They're saying the way we go about running this is reckless. Like, we were 50% faster than we'd ever be. 
you know, just through happenstance, but, um, and they don't want your death on their conscience, blah, 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 and she's like, well, okay, yeah, I kind of get that, but it's a bit like looking down the other end of the telescope. But, it, it, you know, when you calm down and you think sensibly, of course they don't. Um, so, once we got past the fact that it wasn't personal, <clears throat> we just started trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? Why, what is the problem? And the problem is Formula One has 21 races and next year's 22, and the only time you can run is August, and the only blah, 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 you know, having straight liners, UK Timing Association, doing it, etc., etc., etc. Okay, how do we get around that? So, you asked us, first of all, how do we continue from there? Well, we went to all these people, lovely people that they are, asking them for money, STP really pissed me off because this should have been perfect for them. Yeah. But they went to sponsor some VW Beetle Grand Championship or mm. something interesting like that. These are proven sponsors, aren't they? Wins and STP. Wins and, Wins and Carabao, no interest and didn't bother applying. So good luck to them. This is to give you an idea of the sort of scribble that I said to me and <coughs> Hutchinson that I went up and I yeah. worked on. And all being well, yeah. we're at the kind of final stages with Jonathan Kendrick. We've already shaken hands on it, but he just needs to stump up the dough now. And this will be, if we run with Rocket, this will be really good. So we'll be running next year. And we'll keep Duo and AirAsia on the car as well. And at, at what stage, the car still needs to be... Still needs to be fixed, but we're not worried about that. Amount to do no what about so, manpower? Same team, you know, we're all okay with each other, we know what we don't want them to do. Um, oh, I see, so you've, so you've, had, you've discussed the problem. Yeah, I mean, now that I know it's not personal, um, I don't have any problem, then I understand it and I don't want them to feel like that. Um, Presumably they now... Know, basically, it's because... We're all tight and we all love each other, so they don't want anything nasty to happen. And they feel guilty about the way things are going. It's just how they went. But uh, it's nice that people feel like that. But I mean, it's nice, presumably, to be able to pick, point to a geometric problem, you know? Yeah. I mean, we understand why it went wrong, but operationally, we do need to improve. So, when I was talking about this the other night, this little blue box of tricks is the key to the whole thing. And it's a race logic V-box. It's a very smart piece of kit, and we were talking about what it tells you, and all that onboard stuff that you saw came off that. And then Tom said there's another thing that he'd um, been using with Honda, because he works for Honda, um, or his company does PR work for Honda, and they'd taken a whole load of Hondas to Spa last year, and they timed them with a V-box, and it's extra little bit, which gives you the start you lap in the end. So it can give us the start to the measured distance in the end. Mm -hmm. And we can do, Fabio Butzi did a GPS record, diesel water speed record last year, which set me thinking about this. And that, that's considered to be accurate enough for? Well, that's the interesting point. It was for the FIM, but what, what it, if it works out the way we want, it means we can put all on board telemetry. We can go anywhere we like. So we don't need to have a timing association setting up for us, or we might get them to set up the course, but we'll do everything else. 
That means we could, in theory, go to Carlisle Airport any time we like, or on a Tuesday when they don't have flight. <coughs> and do standing start runs for shoot deployment. So we can say if we have 400 meter run up, we know we'll hit about 250 and see how the shoot works then. Because they're not going to let, I'd like to just get back in the car and do duplicate that run but with the shoot in the right place. But they're saying, no, 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 you've got to do go back to school and do 250 and then work out, which makes sense. Yeah. So in theory, we can do all of that so that then we're ready and we know the thing will work. We can go to Elvington in a much safer condition any time we like, any time it's available, instead of just August. Yeah, I see. So we could run, I don't know, <coughs> Wednesday and Thursday after a Grand Prix. Yeah. So in between Grand Prix, um, instead of this sort of crazy rush to August but, yeah. that has dictated everything we do. We use one of these things, possibly not as sophisticated as that, but to run all the speakers for, for the cars yeah. we test. Yeah. And that we, everybody's content that, that, that it, it's distance measuring capabilities. Um, well, I'm very excited about this. And I went to see the MSA today, I went to see Hugh Chambers, um, and laid out what we'd like to do. Um, first thing I asked him was who owns the British land speed record, and then who owns the UK land speed record. And his attitude is what well, we do because we manage all of UK motorsport which I don't know whether I, you know, I agree with that or not, but... Um, but if he's prepared to ratify it, then... Well, I said to him, this is, this is what we'd like to do. Um, I don't want to be one of these teams that does a Budweiser cheat. I want it to be real. And if I do something, I want everyone to agree that, okay, that's it. What's a Budweiser cheat? Well, the, the bollocks they came out with about going supersonic. I'm doing it over 52.8 feet where everyone the people who died trying to break the land speed record did it over a kilo or a mile. Oh, I, so I, um, I don't want to scan a thing like that, but I would like to do the British land speed record. So what I said to him is, um, we will pay for you to have an observer. We'll pay all the setup fees, um, surveying, um, fire, and extraction crews, etc. Um, and then we will pay for, your, for you to have an observer and you can have access to every scrap of telemetry. Um, would you Would you be prepared to ratify it? And basically, we had a very positive discussion about it. Um, so in January, we're going to sit down with race logic, and hopefully we can do it that way, which would be fantastic. And it would free us up an awful lot. Um, <coughs> Yeah, I think that could be quite interesting and it could be good for other little guys, shoestring boys like us. So you're actually, you're, I mean, there's plenty to do, but you're actually in good shape. You have the... I think so, yeah. yeah. If someone has rocket come up with the money, we're in very good shape. Yeah. Um, Race Logic are prepared to sponsor us for all of that. So, and the, you know, and the in, in the future, all sorts of people could then maybe go after records themselves for much more cost effective. Kind of um, yeah, it would be nice to think you could yeah. have a speed week, maybe at Elvington. Yeah. You know, there's still the um, UKTA do a very good bike thing. There's some fantastic bike stuff there. 
Um, but it would be nice if you could do something like this. Yeah. Because, well, you could to be honest, 15 grand for two days <clears throat> is a lot of money when if you ran on the top speed Tuesday, it's 150 quid a car. Yeah. So I don't really understand. I know that they set it up purely for us, but you're not going to amortize those kind of costs no. on a top speed Tuesday. Especially, and then as you say, if it rains. Yeah. Yeah. So it would just be, it's an interesting way forward, and so long as it's kosher, then it could be quite fun. And you feel as keen and, you know, horned and all the rest of it as, you, as you, you've yeah, ever been? I'm just bored not doing it. It's, it's just, I remember when, <coughs> when we had the shunt, I phoned Trish and said, okay, I had a bit of an accident, she got that, but I'm okay. And she was really strong. And then I said, now you've got to guess my speed. So I told her what well, the fantastic thing she said was, well, even if you never do this again, you'll still have that. Yeah, that's true. When she said that, that's it's not going to be enough. <laughs> it's just not going to be enough. You know? It isn't. <coughs> is, the, is the car as it is, with the engine as it is, does that have enough poke? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were still accelerating at the end of that What run. could you do? I mean, <coughs> perfect run. I, I, I would imagine if we did 600 meter run up instead of 425. I would imagine we could come out of the traps at about 325. And you'd still be able to stop, okay? Hopefully. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be priority, does it? <laughs> it will be one time. Um, yeah, I mean, the shoot when it works properly will be about 6G diesel. So that's uh, 120 miles. 6G. An hour per second per second. So it's hard on the crutch straps in there. Well, I don't think it'd be the crutch straps, that's only when you're upside down. <laughs> okay. But hand system and everything else might be a bit much. Um, but that should slow us down in like three and a bit seconds. And we got eight seconds to slow down in, so in theory. Yeah, you don't want to go off one end because it drops down at the other end. Like I think I said it's got 200 meters of emergency grass. And if, if, if Assuming we have three or four millionaires in the audience that are keen to get involved, you'd listen to them? I always listen to the journalists. <laughs> <laughs> it's just they don't talk to me very often. <laughs> <laughs> say get out of the way. But what would you do? What, when, say you do it, because it doesn't, I mean, forgive me, but because I don't know what I'm talking about, but it doesn't seem to be that far away. You know, you sh you've got the systems in place. Say you pull it off. Let's say we've never been closer, but... Okay. But say you pull it off, what, what then? Will you, will you sort of relax and go back to writing about Grand Prix and talking to Saywin and all that? Or will you... Yeah, will that's you not a very attractive thing, is it? <laughs> will you have another... <laughs> I mean, will you find yourself another target? What, what will you do? Um, I think we might go to the White Lake. Which is well, I had a conversation with John Lacey once about how he can't allow his motor racing career to fade away with Indianapolis. So, you know, what, have you ever thought, wait, I'll see one of you, because hey, we'd like to go to the White Lake. What? Bonneville. What? And then I suddenly realised he was talking about Bonneville. So I said, we can do that, buddy. No problem. And then he, Same car? Or? No, 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 no. We'd, we'd borrow a car from Mike Cook or someone like that, or we'd hire a car. But it's really funny because every time I see Jean, he goes, oh, you, uh, 
You want to make me go to the White Lake? I said, yeah, why not? You do love it. Sounds amazing. Could you imagine a lacy going salt fever? But what I'd like to do is, I think, um, maybe the girls, the, the, the boys' wives, will be a bit less keen on this now that they've got kids. But it would be fun for Tom, Sam, and I to go and borrow, I don't know, a roadster and try and get the 200 mile an hour. Yeah, one of those things made out of a drop tank. I'll just be sorry. No, not one of them. They're too dangerous. Oh, yeah. But like um, um, one old Ford that's sort of cut down and yeah, got yeah. slight aero on it. That would be fun. So there's no stopping you? Well, I don't know. I think we need to get over this first. Yeah. Well, we, we wish you all the luck. And there will be a book, by the way. It's only 180,000 words, but it's all about failure. Everything is all about failed this, failed that. Well, you've done it. I mean, will you take steps to, will you take any particular steps to record this properly when, you, when you're doing it? Because I'm yeah, we want to be much more into um, videoing it and drones and everything else, because that, that was the biggest thing the last time. We just didn't have any real proper, apart from Phil stuff, yeah. and that one bit that Nicky's shot, we didn't really have anything that said, okay, this is what happened. Yeah. So even a rear-facing camera makes sense, just so we can see what shoot deployments are like. Yeah. And a drone going <coughs> over the top, I think we got someone that's going to do that. It's just awesome, that kind of footage. It is, yeah. Um, well, it'd go everywhere, won't it? And I hope um, next time will be different because we'll probably have more media there. I'm not sure I want that, to be honest. Um, no, it's going to be great. But I, I do want Rocket and whoever is with us, I want them to get something out of it. But equally, media tends to try and push you along. And yeah. That's not how it's going to work. Yeah. But ironically, <laughs> If we'd broken the record the last time, nobody would have given a toss. There's no, no illusions about that. But because we fell over, suddenly they want to know about it. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. An amazing story. Thank you very much. Thanks very Thank much. You. Before we got some questions in the audience, I'm conscious you want to get back to watch the. Um, <laughs> I won't word, use the E word, but. Uh, gentlemen over here. Hi, David. Uh, just to manage your expectations, I'm not a millionaire, sorry about that. Let's have um, the microphone back now. Okay? <laughs> um, your start point, Campbell. <laughs> Um, K7, when Bill Smith um, set off to recover that and Campbell's body, as I understand it, it was all about celebrating a remarkable man and, and perpetuating his memory. And 20 years on, nearly 20 years on, um, he, he seems to continue to be frustrated in bringing that machine back to life in the way that he wanted to with wrangles and disagreements and the thing remains hidden away largely. How do you feel about that? I think it's typical of the Campbell story, to be honest. Um, all the people at Coniston have done, <coughs> what have they done? Let's try and think. Um, they've built an extension to their museum. I think that's probably their commitment. With a, with a space in it? Yeah. Whereas 
girls dived on it, bought it up, painstakingly rebuilt the whole thing, um, and got it going again. So inevitably, there's a sort of, I mean, Bill is, the reason I love Bill so much is he's so like me, he's got no time for bullshit. Um, <clears throat> so inevitably, there are clashes of interest on that. I think it's disappointing, but I'm sure it'll get um, resolved at some stage. Half the problem is in the Lake District, you're not allowed to run on. It's Windermere, isn't it? You can't run more than 10 miles an hour. And I think you can get dispensation at Coniston. But um, I think it'll get resolved when it gets resolved. So they'll run at a full speed, will No. Um, I don't know what their plan is, but. 200, something like that. No, oh, so plenty. Yeah. I mean, they're going quite quickly at, um, on Butte. So. So, another question, ladies and gentlemen. It's nice and convenient, thank you. <laughs> David, you mentioned your, your journalist, you know, your journalistic career, and the, probably the saddest moments was, um, you know, Tony, Tom, and Roger. What's been your most happiest um, moment in your career? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, Is there anybody with whom you identify especially that? whose victory makes you feel good. I love, it's really funny, I hated watching Michael Schumacher win. And I love watching Lewis win. And, you know, there's a definite paradox there. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, it's funny, it sounds trite to say it, but you're actually, we lead a blessed life. And one of the things that brought it home to me was in uh, 40 years after I saw a picture, this BRM age 16, being driven at Silverstone, so it kind of right into the camera. It's the first time I looked at a Formula One car and thought, shit, that's got balls, instead of the silly little one and a half litre ones. And it was driven by some bloke called Jackie Stewart. And 40 years to the day, I was having lunch with Jackie, interviewing him for the York and Red book, and Emerson was there as well. Um, you know, you're having lunch, and part of you is 14-year-old kid thinking, holy shit, and the other's thinking, these are mates. And that's just awesome. Like Nikki, I felt as a mate. Um, you meet all these inspirational people. Current drivers, big mistake if you think they were mates. Because people like Jensen Button screw you. But um, the last driver who was a friend, I would say, was Felipe Massa. But when they've retired and they've stopped being selfish jerks, they can be great company. Um, to, to be able to operate in a world peopled by guys like that who are massively inspiring. Even though they might be jerks when they're racing, they're still inspiring people. Um, I think overall that would be the greatest thing. It's just, and they, it sounds silly because you're always talking about the Christian names like, oh, as if you know them, and, but the fact is we do. And we're so lucky that we do and to have watched all of Lewis's wins, and to have known so many champions, and the old guys as well, like Sterling. Um, I, mean, I had a lovely, lovely day with Dan Gurney in 2015, when I, I talked to him again about Jimmy. We, we talked about it before, but we talked about it again. Evie came in and said, 
it's lunchtime, we sort of got like this, the two of us, and that was nice. And then Dan kind of disappeared. And then Eddie said, oh, he's only down in the man cave. He says, when you're done here, go down and see him. And we talked all afternoon about all sorts of things. Um, and the guy who invented the Harrier jump jet, his book was entitled Not Much of an Engineer, because that's what his headmaster said he would be. <laughs> and I got home, and then two days later, his biography and another one about um, North American, the guys who did all the planes, the oh, US yeah. planes, yeah. and then the um, space rockets that arrived, both from Dan. Such a, a, a lovely thing to do. And again, one of those guys that you thought, you felt like you knew from reading about him as a kid, is one of your mates. So those kind of things are, are very important. And it's not like, it's not like hero worship. I remember Will Buxton. Will has done a fantastic book. One book you should buy is My Greatest Defeat, that Will wrote, and it's like 20 champions talking about the low point of their lives. And it's awesome, it's a mesmerizing book. But when Will came into Formula One, I remember he, the first time he saw Nicky, he was jumping up at him like a puppy. Dude, you can't afford to do that. You cannot be like that with him. You can't hear or worship. You're just going to treat them as normal people. But it's the day when you realize that they become your friends. Uh, it's just terrific. OK, ladies and gentlemen, one more question, maybe. Right over in the back. <laughs> talk amongst yourselves for a moment, I get there. There we go, sir. That's all right. Um, Dave, uh, I class you as a, oh, a, 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 a bit of a mate. Um, I can solve one question for you, and I think everyone in the room will probably join me, is I know exactly why Martin Whitmarsh did what he did. You're just a good bloke and you deserve it. Simple. Hey. Um, <laughs> Why your missus keeps avoiding me. <laughs> <laughs> she, she did send a text back, I'll show it to you later. <laughs> um, but one, one thing uh, that puzzles me a little bit, and it, this is for both of you really, if a Bugatti Chiron is supposed to be able to travel at 250 or 260 miles an hour, whatever, um, first can they? And, then how does that square with what you're doing to achieve a speed that's a bit better than that? Uh, well, the interesting thing, actually, they go quicker than that, because did you see Andy Wallace did 300 recently? And there was a brilliant piece in ESPN which began by saying, um, if Andy Wallace was a film star, the adjective would be nondescript. So, well, that's, that's <laughs> but then it was a really good piece about driving this Bugatti at 300, which is a fantastic speed from a, a road car, as Malcolm Campbell's speed. But he did it at the Volkswagen place, Europe, yeah, yeah. which I keep wanting Jost Capito. I keep saying Jost, I want to come and run at your yeah. place. But then I don't know how long the straight there is. Oh, it goes into a... It's a, it's a bowl, isn't it? It's a, yeah, but isn't it? Isn't it's something like a five-mile track. Yeah. So if we had a five-mile track, we've got shitty air, but we'd do a lot more than 
the, um, the, 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 the short answer is that the Bugatti hasn't got enough power to do them to do to get up to speed and do a measured mile and slow down. I mean, it would probably slow down really well, but but it's um, it's about it's about uh, uh, getting up to the speed in the time in the space available. So it's too slow. I mean, some some kids when they were at Campbell uh, sat in the car and she was naked, so she was sort of look at me. Uh, sat in the car and these kids come by and they said, "Oh, does he go supersonic?" So they said, no, not by a long way, but I know someone who does. Blah blah blah. And then as they walked away, they went, I can't remember how they described it. They said something like, "Well, if you crush this, you'll be dead." Like really cheerfully. But it's all about horses for courses. Um, and I like, if people say, talking about Andy Green, because they'll always ask you what speed you're aiming for, and then they say, what's the land speed record? And you tell them, that's it's good points, you're getting 300 miles an hour. And you think, yeah, and, you know, if people talk about speed king, I would say speed prince, maybe. But the whole point is it's horses for courses, and the, I like to say the one thing Andy and I have in common is, Parachute failure would be drastically inconvenient. <laughs> I think you, I mean, you, you could do a lot if you had a sort of 15 mile track, especially. Yeah, I mean, this thing would be horrible at that kind of speed because it'd be, that's when you really feel that all the weight was in the wrong place. You'd have to go to a slipper body of some sort. But again, you know, if you had a lot, if you had a five mile straight, be interesting to see what you could coax so yeah. Even more interesting when it comes to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, David Tremaine, Steve <laughs>